Good evening. A rainstorm threatens New York with more epic floods. Is the city ready? A president of Ukraine has a close advisor, the victim of an attempted assassination, who was behind it all. The framework for paying for the $3.5 trillion package that's being worked on right now in Congress. The budget is uh, has been achieved, according to Chuck Schumer, and a lot of information from Haiti on U.S. military bases and a dear friend of Occupy Wall Street passes unexpectedly. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. The city's emergency management department has issued a travel advisory through Friday due to potential flash flooding. The advisory comes after the National Weather Service issued a flash flood watch for the city. The heaviest rain will hit between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Most of the city will see one to two inches of rainfall over about a six-hour period. That'll be enough to cause flooding in the usual spots like the FDR Drive, Belt Parkway, and the West Side Highway. Mayor de Blasio had this to say. It's not to the point yet of opening up shelters or doing an evacuation effort. We are now working out of a a sort of superabundance of caution. What we're seeing now, the exact numbers I went over, normally would not have caused particular alarm. It is the fact that storms are moving quickly that's allowing me now to say to people, I'm putting everyone on alert. If you live in a basement apartment, be ready to move to higher ground. Uh, That might be for a very limited period of time, and hopefully it never uh, turns into anything bad enough uh, for that to actually be necessary. But we want to start by telling people that if we see the situation worsen, we'll put out more and more urgent alerts. If we ever got in this or any other storm a situation where we believed evacuation was necessary, that would be a whole higher level of activity. And then, of course, we'd be opening up shelters as well. Dear WBAI listener, we can certainly use a little help from our friends after years of fall. And so that was uh, Mayor de Blasio earlier today. The city's advisory warns motorists and pedestrians to avoid areas where water covers the road. The water may be much deeper than it looks. After several deaths during a hurricane last month that brought unexpected flooding, the administration is warning residents of basement apartments to be prepared to move to a higher floor during periods of heavy rain. De Blasio said today the city would open disaster recovery centers at Hostos Community College, Medgar Evers College, Queens College, and the College of Staten Island. And in COVID news, the U.S. vaccination drive against COVID-19 stood on the verge of a major new phase as government advisors today recommended booster doses of Pfizer's vaccine for millions of older or otherwise vulnerable Americans. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says boosters should be offered to people 65 and older, nursing home residents and those aged 50 to 64 who have risky underlying health problems. Britain and Israel are already giving a third round of shots over strong objections from the World Health Organization that poor countries don't have enough for their initial doses. The United Nations General Assembly has been hearing from world leaders this week. In an unusual speech, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke about an assassination attempt against a, a close friend and top aide, Serhii Sharif, pardon me, Serhii Shafir, who was not injured in the attack. Zelensky implied the hit may have come from Russian-backed separatists angered over Ukraine's tilt to the West and Russia's seizure of Crimea. He also announced that the driver of the car was injured but will survive. 
The UN is 193 equal nations, and I invite all those nations to join the declaration of the Crimean platform to condemn the occupation and to demonstrate that you are against changing borders by force in the world. And that was President Zelensky of Ukraine earlier today. More than a dozen bullets hit the black official vehicle. Three of the rounds hit the car's driver. Earlier today, Ukrainian lawmakers approved the law aimed at limiting the influence of oligarchs on the country's politics. Ukraine has battled corruption that embroiled the nation in U.S. politics during the Trump administration. And in Washington, the White House and congressional Democrats have agreed to a framework of options to pay for their huge emerging social and environmental bill. Now, the Democrats face the daunting task of narrowing the menu to tax possibilities they can pass to fund President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion plan. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The White House, the House and the Senate have reached agreement on a framework that will pay for any final negotiated agreement. So the revenue side of this, we have an agreement on. Okay? Thank you. It's a framework, an agreement of a framework. Moderate Democrats, mostly prominent senators, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, are demanding that the massive dollar total be reduced. The ultimate price tag may certainly slip from the much publicized $3.5 trillion. Republicans are solidly opposed to the package, calling it a reckless tax and spending spree. And in news that's uh, sort of spreading from The border region between Mexico and the United States, the island nation of Haiti and other nations, the South American countries where migrants have been holding out, trying to get into the United States and the United States itself, where the battle over immigration is reaching a higher pitch. Um, In that atmosphere, the Biden administration's special envoy to Haiti resigned today in protest of inhumane large scale expulsions of Haitian migrants to their homeland as it's racked by civil strife and natural disaster. Daniel Foote was appointed to the position in July following the assassination of Haiti's president, Jovenel Moise. Even before the migrant expulsions from the small Texas border town of Del Rio, the career diplomat was known to be deeply frustrated with what he considered a lack of urgency in Washington and a glacial pace on efforts to improve conditions in Haiti. Speaking today, though, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the administration wants to go in a different direction than Foot wanted, she says, to protect Haitian democracy. The multiple senior level policy conversations on Haiti were all proposals, including those uh, led by Special Envoy Foote, were fully considered in a rigorous policy process. There are disagreements in these policy processes that the president welcomes that the secretary of state welcomes that that's certainly a part of having discussions and having robust discussions about the best path forward for difficult circumstances. Some of those proposals were harmful to our commitment to the promotion of democracy in Haiti. I'm not going to detail that further. I will let the State Department do that should they choose to. Special Envoy Foote had ample opportunity to raise concerns about migration during his tenure. He never once did so. Now, that wasn't his purview. His purview was, of course, being the special envoy on the ground. His positions were and his views were put forward. They were valued. They were heard. Different policy decisions were made in some circumstances. 
And Saki went on to describe Biden's policy, adding the U.S. government is not is on the ground in the troubled Caribbean island nation. We support a Haitian-led process charting the country's course through the current political situation. We don't back any one political group, and we continue to continue to encourage all political stakeholders to engage in dialogue and find solutions together. And that has been our objective through all of our policy process making throughout the course of this, in addition to providing a range of assistance, training to people on the ground. The national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace is Shamu Baraka. He says the attention on Haiti is welcome, but the politics is getting in the way. The focus on the humanitarian situation on the border is correct. It is really uh, shameful that so many uh, find themselves in that predicament, especially so many being from the uh, country of Haiti. Uh, Shameful because the situation that's been created uh, didn't have to evolve in that way. If the U.S. would have had different policies vis-a-vis Haiti. So while people are looking at uh, and focus on the humanitarian situation, uh, it's important to be for, for people to remind themselves of the uh, policies uh, that the U.S. has uh, unleashed on Haiti that has created the humanitarian situation both inside of the country uh, and outside. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to center the politics of this as opposed to just the focus on the uh, shameful humanitarian situation. Did you expect more from the Biden administration or better from them? I didn't really expect uh, more at all from the Biden administration because the Biden administration, like the uh, Obama-Biden administration, I have some pretty uh, horrible um, uh, policies on the border, including turning people away, uh, incarcerating uh, uh, children uh, and families. Uh, but um, it was it's, it's instructive that uh, what's really criminal about the Biden administration's policies was the green light that the administration gave to uh, um, uh, President uh, Moise uh, to remain in office past his uh, term and uh, what appeared to be U.S. support for the uh, uh, repressive uh, activities that the Haitian authorities were engaged in against the protesters who were opposing those policies. So um, what we see is more of the same. Unfortunately, people inside Haiti thought that there might be a change with a incoming Democratic administration. Haiti is a country beset by even the current interim prime minister supported by the United States is undemocratic. He was not democratically elected. Do you think the U.S. goal in Haiti is to just keep this troublesome island quiet? I think the U.S. policy is to keep Haiti under under its thumb, to deny the Haitian people authentic self-determination. Haiti is a key island in the Caribbean and a key political space for the Caribbean and for Latin America. That's one reason why the U.S. has been involved with the country for a hundred years now. They will continue as long as they can, but it's going to become even more repressive because the Haitian people have gotten to a point now where they are, are determined to take their history back from foreign domination, primarily from the U.S., and that is Ajamu Baraka, national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace.
And as the Biden administration scrambles to relocate thousands of Haitian migrants camped in that small Texas border town, it's also looking for a private contractor to help operate a migrant detention facility at the U.S. Naval Base at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, where prisoners from the war on terror have been held for 20 years now, and to hire at least some guards who speak Spanish and Haitian Creole. White House Press Secretary Saki insists there are no plans to transfer Haitian migrants from the U.S.-Mexico border to Guantanamo Bay, where the U.S. has long housed asylum seekers encountered at sea. There was some confusion uh, related to um, the Migrant Operations Center, which is used has been used for decades to process migrants interdicted at sea for third country resettlement. This request for information that went out publicly yesterday, which I think caused some confusion because of the timing, was posted in a typical routine first step in a contract renewal and unrelated to the southern border. According to the contract solicitation, the facility at Guantanamo Bay will have an estimated daily population of 20 people, but the service providers should be prepared to erect temporary housing facilities for populations that exceed 120 and up to 400 migrants in a surge event. And earlier this week, President Biden spoke at the United Nations where he called on members to do more to help poor nations. But activists say Biden's call is not enough. The co-author just of the just released report, Drawdown, Improving U.S. and Global Security Through Military-Based Closures Abroad, is David Vine. Biden noted Biden is perpetuating the United States' endless wars. The United States has maintained hundreds upon hundreds of military bases abroad since World War II when the United States built the largest collection of foreign military bases in world history, larger than any people or country or empire, including the British Empire. This is a policy that dates to World War II and the early days of the Cold War and has remained in place despite the the end of the Cold War more than three decades ago. A lot of these bases are secret. They're not publicly known, are they? That's right, or secret is. The Pentagon used to create a a list up until 2018, created a list that is the basis for our list of 750 bases abroad in 80 countries and colonies. We have included bases, well-known bases that the Pentagon omitted from its list, as well as secretive bases if we could find a reliable documentation of those bases. The Pentagon often has an interest in keeping bases quiet or secretive because they want to keep it a secret from U.S. citizens, both the the costs of, of U.S. bases abroad, which now it's about $55 billion a year, that's larger than the entire State Department's budget. The Pentagon has long operated with very little oversight from citizens, from the media, from Congress when it comes to maintaining bases abroad. The Congress, for example, discovered that there was a base in Africa that they didn't know before. Even Congress didn't know the existence of that base. In Niger, there are now several bases and members of Congress were shocked, including members of Congress with direct oversight over the military, were shocked to hear that there were a thousand military personnel, U.S. military personnel in Niger after the death of four members of the military there. That is shocking, the fact that there's so little knowledge or oversight and just shows how Congress has abdicated its responsibility for overseeing the military activities globally, including first and foremost war-making, but, but also the, the infrastructure that not only made wars possible, but it made it more likely that the United States would get involved in wars, would launch aggressive wars of choice like the past 20 years of war. Would that have to do with the balance of power between the branches, the civilian and military branches? 
Yes. The Pentagon, the military, has so much power. It is really the fourth branch of government. I mean, it controls more than half of the discretionary budget that taxpayers fund every year. It lobbies both the legislature and the executive. It is a power and force all its own, interlinked with the larger military, industrial, congressional complex, which is a power and structure of power all its own that has kept us locked in a cycle of endless war. And then the military industrial congressional complex is part of what we need to change. We need to roll back the power of that military industrial congressional complex if we're going to get off the road of endless war. Because if we don't, we're going to end up in even more catastrophic wars, is, is my great fear. Are we in a dying empire? We are absolutely in a dying empire. Empires rise and they fall. The United States, U.S. citizens have a choice about how our empire is going to come to an end. It will either come to an end in some sort of catastrophic war or catastrophic bankruptcy or both, or we can choose to wind down our empire in a responsible fashion. And that's part of why I call for a process of de-imperializing the United States in my book, The United States of War, honoring treaty rights with the first peoples who were colonized by the United States, the Native American peoples, and pursue processes of de-imperializing at home. David Vine, he's the author of Drawdown, uh, the just released report, Improving U.S. and Global Security Through Military Base Closures Abroad. Vine noted Biden is uh, perpetuating the United States' endless wars. And I'm just going to do a, this reader and then skip to the last clip, number 12. A man who was being held at a New York City jail died on Wednesday, becoming the 12th person in city custody to die this year. Stefan Kadu, 24, died after being held at the Vernon C. Bain Center, a floating jail barge that's docked just north of the Rikers Island jail complex, where the 11 other incarcerated people who have died were held. And we're going to jump that clip, and then I'm going to just do a quick intro. It's a sad story that uh, one of our uh, one of our friends from Occupy Wall Street, who was also a host, co-host of the Occupy Wall Street show on WBAI, passed away earlier this week. Faith Legere was about 42 or 43 years old. We're trying to get a – her birthday was just this week, and unfortunately, she died after a long illness um, – and um, we'll be having a, uh, a memorial for her later on. But what I would like to do is uh, jump to a, a brief talk I had with a dear friend of hers, Barry Kuschelwitz, who uh, tells us what a, a wonderful person Faith was. She's super creative. She's super – she just had a, a wonderful side to her. I mean she had so much pain. Um, she went through so much suffering. Um, she was – you know, combating it always. Um, and, and, but she was just dedicated to changing the world, to making, you know, a better place. And I, I, I mentioned to you, she, she basically put aside all her creative uh, endeavors that were for herself, like her music, her DJing, and just focused on projects to try and help the world. And when Occupy Wall Street started, she just dropped everything. She just, and, and, just went to work in the media department and ended up being uh, one of the hosts of the Occupy uh, Occupy Wall Street radio program on BAI. Um, she was, you know, arrested for her journalistic activities. Um, 
And she just never gave up. She had a horrible illness. I've never seen anyone fight so hard against an illness. And she was just now putting up her new website, which is indictthesystem.com. She was so excited about it before she was just snatched away from us so uh, suddenly and, and tragically. So she just really, you know, had a, just a wonderful side and, and she just felt the pain of the world. I think that's really important. Other people go, oh, okay, it's terrible what's going on in this part of the world. It's so sad that there are poor people. She really felt it, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, just in a way that most people don't feel it. Um, and, and, you know, she is kind of felt the pain and, uh, you know, she had a heavy heart, you know, um, and, you know, just, you know, just really cared about people and just was very self-sacrificing, just dedicated her life basically to trying to make a better world. Mm-hmm. And what a tra- really a great example for all of us. And then I think one more thing, Paul, she really did accomplish a lot because if you look at what Occupy did and you look at like how, for example, the Democrats are now trying to put in all these social programs that probably wouldn't have happened if there was no Occupy Wall Street to push people to say, well, we're not satisfied with what you're giving us. We want more. When you do these things, it's not just statistics that people are going to maybe get food that wouldn't have gotten it. You're actually really helping individual people fly. And that was Barry Kuschelwitz talking about his friend who just passed away, Occupy Wall Street and WBAI host Faith Legier. And that's some of the news for September 23rd, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Max Schmid. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.